Welcome to the Creekside Community Church Podcast. If you don't yet follow Jesus, we want to provide you with a safe place to explore the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, we want to provide you with resources to help you grow in your faith and ultimately serve Jesus more effectively. For more information or to partner with us, visit our website at creekside.cc. Subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages. We hope this content helps you take your next step with Jesus. So if uh, you're like me and you happen to grow up in church or in a Christian family, uh, you may have heard what I heard. Here's what I heard growing up. If you want to be a good Christian, you got to do two things. Pray and... Oh, go to church. Oh, maybe there's three things. Sorry. Uh, Pray, go to church, and... (laughs) Read your Bible. Thank you. All right, that worked better. All right, pray and uh, read your Bible. Those were the things I was told all along. Like, oh, you feel like your relationship with the Lord is suffering. Are you praying and reading your Bible? Now, what's so fascinating to me about this is a couple things. Uh, Number one, in the series, we're looking at the different disciplines or rhythms that Jesus practiced throughout his life that helped him connect with the Father and be empowered by the Holy Spirit for ministry. And we've already looked, uh, today we're looking at a total of six, and we're only halfway through the series. So we're looking at like 12 over these few weeks. So apparently there's more than pray and read your Bible. (laughs) Why do these ones get the most, you know, push? What's going on there? And then what's even more troubling about this is that if you go back in history, um, most Christians throughout most of church history, A, didn't even have a Bible, and B, didn't know how to read. So if it really comes down to praying and reading your Bible, what you're saying is, you know, for 1,500 years, you know, between Jesus and the printing press, uh, there were no good Christians. There just weren't any because they couldn't read. Right? Huh. It seems strange, doesn't it? Now, just to be clear, I'm not against Bible reading, but I think uh, in our day and age, we've kind of simplified it in a way that if we're not careful, can actually make us miss the main point of Scripture And so today, uh, I want to share some things that actually have been helpful for me in understanding what the heart of Scripture uh, and getting Scripture in you should be and what it's not. And I have some good news along the way. If you don't like reading your Bible, there are other ways to do this. So uh, good news is coming. Uh, But today we're talking about two rhythms or practices of Jesus, meditation and instruction. And I know as soon as I say that word, meditation, some of you guys are like, Ooh, wait. That sounds like Eastern spirituality weird. What are, you, what are you talking about, Luke? Christians don't meditate. Well, uh, according to the psalmists, we are supposed to. Let me share with you from Psalm chapter 1, and then I want to use this text to help clarify what we mean and don't mean when Christians use the word meditate, because we mean something slightly different than uh, other Eastern forms of spirituality, Okay. But here's what Psalm 1 says. It says, how happy or blessed is the person who does not do certain things. So if you want to be a blessed person, don't walk in the advice of the wicked. Don't stand in the pathway with sinners and don't sit in the company of mockers. A bunch of things not to do, okay? If you want to be a blessed person, happy in the Lord, don't do these things. What do you do on the positive side? Instead, your delight should be in the law of the Lord or in the Lord's instruction 
And the blessed person meditates on the law day and night. Ha! Meditate. Meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. So what we see is, uh, this is written right around 1,000 B.C., that meditation is a biblical idea. A Joshua, way back even before that, was told to meditate on the law of the Lord. Keep it in mind. And there's a promise that comes with this. If you do this, if you don't walk in these evil ways, and instead you meditate on the law of the Lord, you will be like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season. Its leaf will not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So here's the encouragement. That, that meditating on Scripture somehow will give you the strength and the fortitude to last through those storms, those dry seasons of life. It'll help your roots go down deep in God and with Him so that you will still bear fruit when the season is right, even if there's a dry season outside. So Scripture meditation, Scripture apparently encourages us to meditate on Scripture. Now, there, there is a key difference here between Christian, the Christian idea of meditation, and honestly, I looked for a different word, and I just couldn't come up with anything that's better, and, and this is also a biblical word. But let me clarify the difference between uh, what Christians mean by meditation and what maybe other spiritual traditions or New Age thinking would say. Uh, in a lot of Buddhist thoughts, meditation is about emptying yourself. That's the whole point. Right? You're mindful with the purpose of getting everything out of your mind, totally emptying yourself. That's the purpose of meditation. For Christianity, and you saw this based off that text, it's actually the opposite. It's about filling yourself with something. It's about filling yourself with God's truth. So there's similar ideas here at play, but with a very different end goal. The purpose of Christian meditation is not to empty yourself, but to let yourself be filled with truth from God. Uh, the best analogy I've heard that from the, about this, and uh, I, don't, I don't know who first told this to me, and so I've forgotten where I learned it from. Apparently, that's the key to being original. You just forget where you hear things from. Um, but is that, it's, it's like a cow chewing its cud, right? This is what Christians are to do, right? Or a bunch of cows. Sorry, no. Um, but what, what do cows do when they eat, right? They eat the hay, goes into their stomach, and later it comes back out and they chew on it more, and then it goes somewhere else. This is what Christians are supposed to be like with the Word, with Scripture. And what it means to meditate is not just you ingest it, you don't just read it, and then you're done. Good job. No. You consider it. You reflect on it. You think about it. You hold it in your mind. It's like you're chewing on it. You bring it in, and then you consider it. You chew on it and you meditate on it. This is what Christians are to do with the word. Now, why do we do this? Uh, first of all, we do this because uh, it's clear that Jesus did this. He modeled this for us. And when he says, follow me, we're supposed to take up his practices and how he lived his everyday life. That's what we've been exploring in this series. How the rhythms or the practices Jesus did to make sure he's connected to God and empowered by the Spirit. And Jesus clearly meditated on Scripture um, we know this one just from history. There's this ancient document called the Mishnah. The Mishnah means the teaching. And it was the ancient teaching about how good Jewish boys and girls were supposed to be raised and how they were supposed to follow the Bible. Uh, for them, just the Old Testament, um, the, the Hebrew scriptures. How, how are you actually supposed to live this out? That's what the Mishnah showed you and explained. 
And what the Mishnah does is it gives us an insight into how little Jesus would have been raised as a boy and then as a teen. And what we're told is step one, when you go to kindergarten, start memorizing the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. First five books of the Old Testament, good Jewish boys and girls would all memorize all of that. Step two, if you make it past that and you keep studying, memorize the rest of the Old Testament. And step three, for the brightest, brightest, the best of the best, memorize the oral law. All these instructions from different rabbis about how you were supposed to obey all those various laws. And when you look at Jesus' life, I'm convinced that he had the Old Testament memorized. And not just, he, not just that he knew it or could recite it, he meditated on it. The Hebrew word for meditate is haga, and it means to like murmur or mutter. It's like we're supposed to be like muttering scripture's words throughout the day. Blessed is the man, oh yeah. Right? You're muttering, you're saying it back to yourself. You're considering it. So here's just uh, one evidence that I think Jesus did this. Uh, this is a really cool passage of scripture that uh, I think a lot of folks are mis- uh, misunderstand too. So uh, maybe this will clear this up. Matthew chapter 22. Uh, this is one of those many situations where people are trying to test Jesus. But the way he answers, and if you look at the leaps in his logic, you realize Jesus was doing this. He was meditating on scripture all the time. So here's what Matthew writes in Matthew 22. 20. 22. He says, uh, Then the Pharisees went and they plotted how they could trap Jesus by what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now, fascinating because usually these groups hate each other, but they're united against Jesus. Right? I don't like you, you don't like me, but we both don't like Jesus. All right. So, teacher, they said to Jesus, We know that you are truthful and you teach truthfully the way of God. And they're buttering him up, complimenting him. You don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality. Tell us then, Jesus, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, pause. Us reading today, we don't understand the trick here. How is this going to trap Jesus? But the key is, Rome was this oppressive foreign government ruling over them. And almost all the Jews just hated Rome. They wanted nothing to do with them. And so if Jesus says, yes, pay your taxes, all the Jewish people are like, seriously? You're just going to be pro-Rome on us? And if he says, no, don't pay your taxes, they're like, hey, hey, uh, Pilate, Jesus just told us not to pay Roman taxes. You should do something about this guy. He's a popular teacher. He's telling people not to pay their taxes. He's an insurrectionist. That's the trap, right? So if Jesus says, yes, alienates uh, him, him with the Jewish people. If he says no, then he alienates himself with Rome. So how is he going to handle this tricky situation? So perceiving their malicious intent, Jesus said, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. They brought him a denarius. Uh, I'll put it on the screen so you can see what a denarius looks like. And this uh, helps you understand what he says next. So they brought him a denarius. And he says, whose image and inscription is this on this coin? Caesar's, they said to him. 
Then he said to them, give then, to, give then to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. Now for the longest time, I don't understand what's so amazing about this. I found out Jesus phrases his answer in a very particular way. Let me help you hear the echo. In whose image is this coin made? Yeah. And in whose likeness is it? That's Genesis 1 language. In the beginning, God made humans in his image and in his likeness. Same words. So what we realize when you look into it is he's saying, all right, sure, this coin's made in Caesar's image. Give that back to Caesar. What is made in God's image? You and your whole life. You give that back to God. They're like, oh, that's good, Jesus. That's why they're so amazed. The brilliance of this answer. And for our purposes, what it reveals to us is how could Jesus connect the dots between taxes and coins and the image of God? Because he was meditating on Scripture day and night. He's murmuring, muttering to himself. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And God created man in his image and his likeness. When they bring him a coin, he connects the dots between what's going on and the truths of Scripture. Because he meditated on Scripture so why should we meditate on Scripture? Well, because Jesus says, follow me. We're seeking to become like him, and so we do what he did. He meditated on Scripture, so we should too meditate on Scripture. And what's so cool about this is Jesus says something else that informs this practice. Um, in another conversation with the Pharisees, he told them, and he confronts them, he says, you are pouring over the Scriptures. You're, you're, you're diligently seeking them and trying to figure them out because you think that you have eternal life in them. But scriptures point to me. They testify about me. They witness about me. But you're not willing to come to me so that you may have life. What is Jesus saying? This is fascinating. He's saying the Bible is more complex than you might think. On the one hand, the Bible is, really we call it a book. It's not really a book. It's a bunch of books tied together, right? Bible is a collection of ancient documents written by over 30 different authors over 1,500 years or so. So it's not really true to call it a book. It's really a little library that you're carrying around. On the one hand, on the one hand, that's the Bible. But Jesus says, also, it's an autobiography. An autobiography is a book written about the author, written by the author. Jesus is saying, ultimately, this is not just a collection of ancient documents. It's also an autobiography. It points to me. And so here's the good news for those of us who would follow Jesus and seek to understand him better, is that when you meditate on Scripture, what are you doing? You're filling your mind and your heart and your life with truths that are ultimately about Jesus, that ultimately point to Jesus. So we should meditate on Scripture, not just because Jesus did it, but because the more we do that, we believe the more we'll understand of Jesus and his way of life. Uh, Colossians 3 says it this way. It says, let the message about Christ in all its fullness, in all its complexity, fill your lives. Let the message about Christ fill 
your lives. So we need to chew on this word. We need to meditate on it. So analogy today. First of all, tea or coffee? How many of you are tea drinkers? All right. How many of you are coffee drinkers? Yes, you chosen blessed people. <laughs> Janelle is a uh, tea drinker, and we like debating in our house which one's better. Um, I will have to admit, tea's cheaper, so you got that going for you. All right. Uh, so here's the analogy I, I've heard is that uh, from a pastor named Justin Dieter, I, I was reading his blog, and he gave this analogy. Oh, that was smooth. Sorry about that. All right. Uh, you got your hot water. This is like your mind and your heart and your life. And the tea bag's like scripture. Now here's where some of us go wrong, okay? And I, I'm sorry if I'm calling you out. I don't know you or your story. But if you're like, yeah, verse of the day. <laughs> and if that is your relationship to scripture and that's it, I have bad news for you. Like that's, that's not meditating on the word, okay? <laughs> This is meditating on the word. And the point is not necessarily how long or how much are you in scripture. It's how much of the truth of scripture are getting into you. You have to steep yourself in scripture. That's what we're called to do. This is what Bible meditation is about. Letting the truths of scripture and how it points to Jesus steep in our lives and our hearts. We have to meditate on it. So are you meditating on the word. Again, good news is you can do this in a lot of different ways. You do not have to read the Bible. Okay. We live in the 21st century with all kinds of apps, so I'm going to give you some suggestions. All right. If, if reading the Bible in a physical copy works for you every day, that is great. Okay. If you've had trouble with that, here are some alternatives that you might want to try. Okay. Um, first of all, the Read Scripture Bible app. Uh, this is a method of reading Scripture um, but it's the one I'm currently using and I highly recommend. Uh, the Read Scripture app is on my phone. You can download it for free. Uh, what it does is it, number one, has a daily Bible reading plan that will get you through the entire story of Scripture in a year. But what it also pairs with is a resource called the Bible Project. And the Bible Project are these really informative, well-done videos that help explain Scripture or the structure of different books of the Bible. And they'll insert those in places you might need them. So before you even read Genesis 1, you'll watch a video that helps you understand the book of Genesis as a whole, and then Genesis 1 through 11 specifically, and then you read Genesis 1. So it's a great way uh, to get going if you like reading, but you want uh, a different program, the Read Scripture app. Here are some other resources, the Dwell app. Uh, I don't use this, but I've heard from a lot of folks who do. This is a way to listen to Scripture. Maybe you have a long commute. Don't read scripture if you have a long commute on that commute, right? But you can press play and you can listen to scripture. You can meditate on scripture while you listen to it. Uh, another way to do this is something called uh, fighter verses. This is a resource that helps you memorize scripture, right? For maybe for you, you just don't have the attention span to just read a lot or even listen a lot, but you could work on memorizing some key scriptures. And then what's going to happen if those are memorized? They're going to keep coming up. You can keep bringing them to mind. And then finally, this is one I just heard about last week. Uh, someone in our uh, connection group uh, was telling our group about it called the Encounter app. Uh, this guides you through like a daily meditation around 15 minutes that helps you focus in on Scripture and really just sit with it. 
So there's all kinds of tools. You don't have to read the Bible, even though your mom may have told you that or your dad may have told you that. But you do need to steep in Scripture. So what's it going to be for you? Maybe it's time to try a, a different approach for you. But we need to steep ourselves in Scripture. I want to share with you a little bit of a longer quote, and I apologize because you probably can't read this, but uh, just listen along. This is from a pastor of the last generation uh, named Charles Spurgeon. He wrote, Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the Word of God and get that Word into ourselves. As I have seen the silkworm, silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it, so should we do with the Word of the Lord. Not crawl over its surface, but eat right into it until we have taken it into our inmost parts. It's idle merely to let the eye glance over the words or to recollect the poetical expressions or the historic facts, but it is blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until, listen to this, until at last you come to talk in scriptural language. And your very style is fashioned upon Scripture's models. And what is better still, your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord. To be in Scripture and to steep in Scripture so much that it starts coming out of you. And this leads us to the second practice we're going to be talking about today. So Bible meditation on the one hand, steeping in Scripture, getting Scripture in you, and then on the other hand, Bible instruction. Letting the Bible come out of you. Letting the word of Christ come out of you. So, so let me put some pieces out here and build a case for this, okay? So number one, here's how this was supposed to work in the Old Testament, okay? Here's how this worked in the Old Testament. Uh, key, ter uh, key verse in the Old Testament is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. This is called the Shema. It's called that because that's the first Hebrew word. When it says listen or hear, uh, that's the Hebrew word Shema. And so now, parents, you can tell that your kids, Shema! Like, listen up. Pay attention. Shema! All right? So, listen, Israel. Listen up. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. What's this talking about? Meditation, right? Let these words be in your heart. But then he goes on. And take these same words that are in your heart, repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Basically saying all the time, whatever you're doing, talk about these words to your children. Impress them upon your children. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. So here's what this shows us. Uh, the Old Testament version of discipleship was very oriented on the family, right? Parents, you meditate on the word, and then you pass that word on to your kids. That's your job. Now that continues, but it also changes drastically in the New Testament. For one, it changes because, well, who is your family? Jesus told his disciples, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. See, Jesus expands the concept of family from this nuclear unit from father and grandparents and blood to anyone who has entrusted themselves to me. It's now family. 
a sense. We talked about this before, but the idea is that when the moment you say yes to God being your heavenly father, you automatically get tons of adopted brothers and sisters. You're adopted into God's family. And now you have spiritual brothers and sisters. Which means now it's not just parents who do this for their kids. They keep doing that. But you might be called to be a spiritual parent for someone else. Whether or not you have physical kids. And you may not know more than everyone else, but you know more than someone else. And the idea is now that those who are more spiritually mature or more biblically literate should be passing on actively to their children in the faith what they have learned. Here's a, another set of verses that relate to this. This is Matthew 20, chapter 28. This is known as the Great Commission. Jesus' final marching orders before he ascends to heaven. So the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and he said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let me ask you some questions. Uh, who is the Great Commission for? Yeah, believers, followers. So not just pastors, not just missionaries. Anyone who's choosing to follow Jesus is a disciple and has been given this great commission. So where are we supposed to go? Who are we supposed to go to? Everyone, everywhere, right? You guys see that? And we usually focus on the going part, which is part of it. Supposed to go everywhere. But what is what are we supposed to do be doing as we go everywhere? Teaching them. Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. What this means is if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a calling to teach others. Just period. <laughs> but I'm not a teacher. That's okay. You still have a calling to teach others. <laughs> Maybe that wouldn't be on a stage or in front of a classroom, but you have a calling to pass on to others everything Jesus has commanded us. What this shows us is this discipline of instruction, of teaching others what we're learning, is not just for a select few. It's for all of us who have followed Jesus. It's for every Christian. It's called to instruct others. Now, um, as you think about that, the question comes up is, well, why? And one is because... God loves involving us in his mission in the world. But I think there could be a practical reason is um, how much you learn when you teach. Uh, I didn't check if this checks out scientifically, but this is a quote I've heard since I was a kid and matches my own experience in life and probably yours too. So Edgar Dale says uh, that we remember 10% of what we read, 20% of what we hear, 30% of what we see, 50% of what we see and hear, 70% of what we discuss with others, 80% of what we personally experience, and 95% of what we teach others. And I've found this so true to my own experience. Uh, I'll think, oh yeah, I understand whatever topic. And then I'll start preparing my message. I'm like, no, no, I don't. <laughs> And I have to go back to the Word and study more. 
I find this uh, when our kids ask us questions, too. Like, oh, yeah, good question. Wait. Right? I heard that uh, to teach something is to learn it twice. And perhaps part of the reason God calls every follower of Jesus to pass on to others what we have learned is because God in his wisdom knows how we're designed and that that's actually what drives that understanding of his word to deeper levels like nothing else can. So sometimes uh, Janelle and I will share a pot of tea. So you tea drinkers, uh, do you drink a mug or a pot? How many muggers? Mugs? Mug of tea? Mug of tea? How many people of you drink a pot? A whole pot for yourself? All right, just a few of you, okay. Now, uh, maybe we do this wrong, all right? But when Janelle makes herself a cup of tea every morning, she uses one tea bag. When we share a pot of tea, you know how many tea bags we use? One. One. Yeah, you guys are like me. One tea bag still. So here's my point for this illustration. If uh, the word is like the tea bag, and we're supposed to let it steep in us, right? Same amount of being in the word, right? One tea bag, one tea bag, but different purposes here. Right? This is just for yourself, right? Oh, I studied that. This is great. Thanks, God. This is for sharing with others, right? You're willing to pour out what is steeped in you and offer it to someone else. Do you want some? <laughs> no. <laughs> Didn't steep long enough, sorry. It's, it's brown, I can see it. Well, that's, okay. Janelle's a tea snob, but it's okay because I'm a coffee snob, so we're, we're okay. Um, so my question is this. When it comes to Scripture, what do you like? Which describes you? Are you just bringing it into yourself and holding it there and steeping it in it? Or do you have places and contexts where you're pouring that out and offering what you have learned to others and the truths that God has shown you to others? Now, I want to be clear. This can look like a lot of different things. And if you feel like God's challenging you in this area, I mean, there are some, some obvious ways, right? You can, you can volunteer and serve in children's ministry, ministry and teach, teach kids or in youth ministry and teach youth. Or be a connection group leader. It can look like that. But it can look some other ways too. Uh, this, I believe this happens every week in our connection group. Not just with me leading it, but with all the people in it. Because what happens when we gather together in conversation, we ask these questions. It's like everyone's sharing from their own experience of steeping in the word. And pouring that out and serving it to others. This doesn't have to be a formal thing, teaching others. It can take place informally. Or if you sign up to be a mentor and mentor a youth. But what you're doing is you're connecting the dots for people. Here's how God's connected the dots in my life between what his word says and how I'm supposed to live. Maybe this applies to you too. So Bible meditation, it's not just how much you're in the word, but it's how much of the word is in you. Bible instruction is about passing on to others what God has made known to you. And all of us can do that because there's someone who knows less than you. Even if you're a baby Christian, there's a younger baby Christian than you somewhere. To pass on to others what God has passed on to you. 
So as we think about application, um, I'd love for you to consider right, which of these is God calling you to focus on. Maybe you're just not, the word is not getting in you. And you need to focus on creating a habit of being in the word more. Um, <clears throat> just based off of the, the conversations in our own connection group uh, that we've had at our house, um, it seems like more people in general struggle with making that a regular thing. And so I want to speak for a minute. If, if that's you, if you've like, yes, I know I'm supposed to read the Bible and pray, and I just can't make this a habit. I can't make it stick. I, I want to share just for a minute about some things that have been helpful for me uh, in making new habits, and um, also from, from different books I've read, okay? So here's what uh, the psychologists, the behavioral self-help gurus say about if you're trying to put a practice in your life regularly, like getting in scripture every day, whether that's reading or listening, they say, you need to know this. Your willpower is limited. It's like a muscle. It wears out after a while. It gets tired. And I know this from my personal experience because I'm trying to work on eating. Breakfast, I'm good. Lunch, I'm pretty good. Dinner, I'm not so good. <laughs> and part of the reason, if you've ever tried to change something in your life, you, you know this. As you go through the day, it gets, it gets more difficult to stick to because your willpower is limited and it's been, in essence, used up. That, that muscle's gotten weak and tired throughout the day. And so people who talk about the importance of habits and creating good new habits say it's so important because if your plan is just, I'm going to try really hard to be in Scripture more, you're relying totally on your willpower. It's like white-knuckle change. Almost never works. But instead, what you can do and should do is use that limited willpower to make med Scripture meditation a habit. And the best way to do this is to incorporate it into habits you already have. For example, you probably did not have to work very hard to brush your teeth this morning. Maybe some of our kids or students did. Uh, but most of us growing up, you didn't have to like be like, oh, I just have to do this. I don't want to, but I'm going to make myself, right? No. You don't have to rely on willpower to do that because it's a habit. Something you automatically do at a certain time is just part of your daily routine. And so the question is, how can you do that with scripture meditation? And, and the best way is to incorporate it into things you're already doing. So um, we were talking about this again in our connection group. And one of the members of our group, I love their idea. So, so their current nighttime routine is you get ready for bed, you get into bed, and then they would read a fiction book they like fiction. Great. He said, you know what I'm going to start doing? I'm going to get ready for bed. I'm going to get into bed. Then I'm going to read and reflect on the Bible first. Then I'm going to read the fiction work. That's perfect because they're integrating this new habit into things they're already doing every day. Uh, for me, since I was in college, my routine has been like, wake up, make coffee while it's brewing, start reading scripture. It's like my coffee with God time. So my encouragement to you is to, number one, maybe explore one of these other means of meditating on Scripture. Listening to it, memorizing it, trying a new app possibly to get you in it daily. But then number two, think about your current routine, the things you do every day automatically, and where you could put Scripture meditation into the things you're already doing. So you can do it more regularly. And the point is not to be like, yes, I'm awesome, I read Scripture. The point is... We want to soak in the truth about Jesus and grow in that area.
Make sense? You guys good? Let me share with you something Paul wrote. He said to uh, a guy named Timothy, a pastor, he said, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's talking about instruction, right? He's talking about passing the baton. Baton pass, yeah. Um, so that's what Paul's talking about. Pass on the baton, Timothy. And if you look, these two verses in 1 Timothy 2 have four generations of Christians in them. It's Paul who passed on to Timothy. Timothy is supposed to pass on to others who will also be able to pass on to others. Now, here's the cool thing. Is that Timothy did that. Timothy passed on to others who passed on to others, 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 who passed on to a guy named Dwight, a girl named Jana, my parents. And those truths of Scripture got into them. And the practice of meditating on Scripture got into their lives. I remember being a kid, and I'd wake up in the mornings, I was an early riser, and... Um, I don't even know if you're supposed to do this, but they would have the oven open and on to warm up the kitchen. They'd be sitting in the kitchen with the oven open with their coffee and their Bibles every morning. I just remember going and cuddling with them while my parents were reading scripture, meditating on it together. And not just that, but they, but they taught me the truths of the Bible. And not just them, but different adults in my life, different Sunday school teachers, leaders, passed on to me what they had learned. And part of the reason I'm here today is because of the influence of those people. And I bet the same thing is true of you, including you, Joan and Jack, <laughs> and all of us, that someone passed on to us, or a bunch of someone's passed things on to us. And my encouragement and challenge is, don't break that, don't stop that. Pass the baton on. What you have heard from others, those truths of Scripture that have impacted you, that others have passed on to you, take those things, pass them on to others. And as we continue to do that together, I believe God will use that to shape us, to shape you, to shape our church community to more and more be one that glorifies Jesus and is centered on him and growing in maturity in him and producing fruit or making waffles, right? Like we talked about. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you for this gift of your word. That I thank you that all of it points to you. I have to admit, sometimes when I'm reading it, it can be confusing, especially in the Old Testament. But I pray for all of us that we would keep at it. That we would meditate on your word, murmur it, consider it, reflect on it. We think about how it points to you and how you fulfilled all of it how it challenges us to change so that we can become more like you. And that we would take all those things that are working in our hearts and our lives and we would be faithful to pass those on to others, whether formally in the role of a teacher of some kind or informally just through conversations with other Christians. Give us the courage to do that because it can be uncomfortable for some of us. Help us to pass on what you have given to us uh, through faithful Christians who have come before us. And God, would you, through this process happening over and over again, 
continue to grow our church community, to correct those things that need to be corrected in our hearts and our lives, to give us increasing honesty with each other and, um, and closeness in our relationship with you. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.